good morning, everybody. That was about the smoothest start to a Twitter space I've ever experienced, logistically speaking. So that bodes very well. Knock on wood, I don't want to jinx us here, but we're already off to a great start. It almost makes up for the fact that the coffee at my co-working space has gone cold. Hello, everybody, and welcome to OP Radio number five. I know I've said this before, but I really mean it when I say that today we have a very special guest on the show. In fact, if we were going to do OP Radio properly, this episode probably should have been the first episode because it sort of sets the stage for everything else. But, you know, in life, sometimes you have to take one step back to take two steps forward. It's also the story of, you know, human and technological progress. Apparently, it's the story of OP Radio. It also happens to be the story of the Optimism Collective. Speaking of which, I'm incredibly excited to announce and introduce one of the co-founders of Optimism, the original CEO of the Optimism Public Benefit Corporation, and now executive director of the Optimism Foundation and contributor to the Optimism Collective. You may know her on Twitter as Jingle Jam, aka Optimist Prime, but at Optimism, we lovingly refer to her as just Jing. Jing, welcome to LP Radio. How are you doing this morning? Yo, pretty good. Jacked up on coffee. I am as well. You can probably tell I'm on my second cup. Okay, let's dive right into it. Context for everybody for this conversation. The idea for the show came because Jing gave this amazing presentation to some optimists internally. That was sort of like the past, present, and future of optimism, the Optimism Collective. And I just thought it was fantastic. And so I asked her if she would come on and sort of give the same speech to you. So It's going to be kind of a speech, maybe a little bit of back and forth, but yeah, I just want to kind of let you know what you're in for. And to kick things off, Jing, I want to ask you, what the heck is the Optimism Collective and what gave you the gall to think you could solve age-old problems with human coordination? I certainly wouldn't have had the gall without the team. And I think a lot of us, when we graduated, well, half the founding team didn't graduate, but when we were around graduating age... We, we, won't, be... we won't say exactly who didn't graduate. <laughs> we know who they are. <laughs> we, we, we thought we would be entering into this like millennial dream world where cooperation was the winning strategy. It was human first, impact equals profit. I remember a lot of articles at the time making fun of millennials for looking for this out of the corporations and out of the economy. And that is not the world that we graduated into. So we wanted to build it. And the Ethereum value stack at the time reflected this vision for the future that we had. It was about public goods, decentralization, power to the people. Everyone we knew at the time was building towards this. Even the start of DeFi was about financial empowerment. And here we had all these brilliant people, some of the smartest people we'd ever met, working on tools and applications that benefited everybody, not just themselves, and sometimes without the expectation of return. Yeah, your 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 story rings true for me at least. I think our generation we were we were sold a bill of goods in some sense. And turns out the world our parents grew up in wasn't wasn't the same and things change. But yeah, you managed to find this this crypto and this Ethereum thing relatively early for whatever reason which is great. So take me, can you take me back to that? Like you found out that maybe Ethereum offered a different vision for the future, but maybe there was a problem with scaling it. (laughs) I see what you did there. Well, 2017 (laughs) happened and there was this huge 
blockchain culture shift. It was no longer this like purely cooperative game. Suddenly there were defectors, which changes the equation for everybody involved. Scams galore, huge amounts of capital created and destroyed. It was a huge flood of interest, good interest, but mostly bad interest. And Ethereum maximalists discredited, or even, you know, the early community members discredited those projects as bad people abusing good technology. BTC. I want to correct you there. You mean, I think you meant to say BTC maxis discredited Ethereum, right? No, I mean, Ethereum maxis discredited scam projects on Ethereum as bad people abusing fundamental Mm. good technology. But the BTC maxis discredited Ethereum generally as tech that fundamentally enables bad people and bad outcomes. So, Got you. So you had Ethereum people sort of saying some some projects were bad, and then you had the BTC maxi, maxi saying, no, the whole space is bad, basically. Yeah, Ethereum is fundamentally a force for good. These people are just, you know, assholes, and they don't represent us. And BTC Maxi saying the mere fact that that's possible on Ethereum is evidence that Ethereum enables fundamentally bad things. That was kind of the discourse on Twitter at the time. Yeah. So we wanted to prove that there were multiple ways to wield this technology. It was me, Ben Jones, Carl Flourish, Calvin Fichter. Fichter. Fuck, Calvin. I'm so sorry. It's been five years and I still don't know. It is oddly (laughs) spelled to your credit. I never know either. Every time I say it, I get corrected, and then I can't remember which version of it I said. Anyways, no excuses. So we formed to create Plasma Group, you know, the whole be the change you wish to see in the world thing. And we were touted as this top project, super critical piece of infrastructure. We had so many forkers, and our forkers had tens of millions of dollars under their belt. But we struggled to get funding despite community buy-in praise, acknowledgement that what we were doing was important, and then the evidence of acknowledgement a la Forkers, who raised tens of millions. And so we realized... I'm, can, I, can I interject right there? What, to what do we attribute their ability to fundraise when they forked your code base? How were they able to raise money, do you think? What, what do you think was the difference? Oh, they ICO'd. Got you. Okay. Yeah, and we were like... Public goods, public goods can be profitable. You know, value will flow towards those who are creating impact. Obviously, you know, so naive and idealist, and probably evidence that our frontal cortex hadn't fully developed yet. But that's what we <laughs> thought would happen. Yeah. So we realized that the culture is powerful, right? It's causing people like us to work twelve-hour days seven days a week to build free technology that we weren't turning a profit off of. But culture can't fight incentives. And Ethereum didn't have any incentives built in to uphold its values. It had incentives built in to go counter to its values. It's like if you're at a corporation and you've got bonuses, if people perform well, then you give them the bonus and that incentivizes more good performance. But Ethereum was like a corporation where people were playing politics all the time. And that was how you got the bonus, not by doing the work. So, yeah, it sounds like this cliche, but often used term, but appropriate here, misaligned incentives. Roger Dodger, precisely. 
So we realized that blockchains are not inherently a tool for good. No technology is inherently a tool for good. It's just a tool. And a tool is only as good as those who wield it. And those who wield the tools are only as good as the incentive structures that they exist within. But the dope part about blockchains is that you can encode incentives for how you want people to wield that tool. And so we shut down Plasma Group and we formed Optimism to solve not just the scaling issue, but also the incentive issue. We wanted to create an Ethereum where impact equaled profit. And those who created the most value for the entire ecosystem, not just for themselves, would be appropriately and commensurately rewarded. That's fantastic. I want to interrupt really quick here because I think you said something really crucial there, which is blockchain technology allows you to encode the incentives. Could you just unpack that a little bit? Like explain what you mean with that? Sure. I mean, where does value flow? That, that's it. Like you have tokens, there's work that's being done, money that gets raised. Where does that all, where does that all go? Right now, as a public goods project, you have a couple options. The most popular ones are donations, being hired by a benevolent company that's willing to fund core development, like we have with a lot of the Bitcoin core developers. And then you have acquisitions like Red Hat, like GitHub. So there has to be some other way to get funding and achieve an exit outside of relying on altruism, generosity, or a megacorp acquiring you, because that's quite rare. And there's a lot of things that could be built. Right. And I don't want to jump ahead here, but you guys basically realized that, yeah, you can't appeal to altruism. You need to work within capitalism. That quote you shared by the book that, that Kevin recommended you, it's easier to imagine, what was it, the end of the world than the end of capitalism? Yeah. Kelvin, Kelvin reads a lot on our team. He's Bell from Beauty and the Beast. And yeah, that's what he recommended. But you guys had this epiphany, right? So to, to kind of get back to the story, you had this epiphany that, okay, we have this amazing thing and it's scaling Ethereum, but um, it, it's hard to get the value to accrue to the things that are creating value, like this extension to Ethereum. So yeah, please continue with the story. Yeah, I mean, everyone and their mother vibes with term decentralization and we all know we want it if you ask everybody each person has a slightly different reason for why it's important to them but at the end of the day for most people the narrative boils down to cooperation power to the people capture resistance and these don't these things don't naturally or inherently come with every decentralized system just because it's decentralized in one aspect not only does the governance have to be decentralized, the technology, the network itself, the protocol has to be decentralized. If you want to do continued maintenance of it, the uh, administrative decentralization, how work is done, also needs to be decentralized. So it, you, you really have to decentralize on multiple fronts in order to achieve what everyone loves about decentralization in the first place. Right. And so, you know, bring it back, you know, you want to, you know, the plan is to is to fully decentralize at some point, And as you put it, give power back to the people. 
But one of the difficulties here, and, and this is something that, that I heard you say that I, I thought was very interesting, was that you want to be able to, you don't want it to be static, right? You, you still want to be able to implement changes, and that adds a level of complexity to the decentralization process, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's much easier to decentralize something when it's sort of done and finished and say, okay, it's finished and, and it's often it's doing its thing. But if you want that thing to be continually able to upgrade, that's it adds sort of orders of magnitude of difficulty onto the decentralization process. Yeah, for sure. If you want to live a long life, you have to be able to adapt and evolve. I think, so I used to be a Bitcoiner. I love the Bitcoin community. I think what Bitcoin has accomplished has been incredibly insane. But it's also mostly a static system because governance is really difficult. And for Bitcoin, that's a feature. But we wanted to, we, we always assume at Optimism that we'll never get anything right on the first try. So we want to launch early, iterate often, and be always be open to change, big fundamental changes, changes like deleting 90,000 lines of code from the code base. So in order to create a decentralized protocol that can also evolve with the changing needs of time, we need decentralized access to changing the code underlying that protocol. So decentralized governance. And yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I was just going to, uh, sorry to interrupt. I was just going to say, yeah, and that's, okay. that's a much taller order than, as yes. you put it, than this static thing that isn't changing or upgrading at all. Yep, yep. Much taller order, but lots of experiments came before us. So I really feel like we're in the second wave of governance experiments and lots of people have succeeded and fucked up in various ways before us. So there's a lot to learn from there and it's not purely um, shooting into the dark, which is nice. Kelvin also has this great analogy where he talks about wind-up toys. And depending on you know how the wind-up toy is built, and what direction it's facing. Once you wind it up, it can go in a zigzag, a circle. Kind of the direction is predetermined by the foundational starting structure of that wind-up toy. So the question for us in governance right now is, how do we allow iteration in the protocol and in the governance design and prevent capture? How do we make sure that each change that's made still adheres to the starting values, impact equals profit, capture resistance, decentralization. So that's the big meaty problem that we're trying to solve right now. So if if that appeals to you, jobs.optimism.io. <laughs> I love that. I love that metaphor. Kelvin always coming coming in with the good metaphors. Yeah. So trying to just to restate it, trying to set up this foundation basically that still allows the the collective to be nimble and iterate because we don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring and and we're still learning ourselves and everybody is it's this constant process right like bruce lee said like be like water you know you want to be able to bend with the winds of change instead of break but as you found out i think with this process it it turned out to to be um much more difficult than maybe you had first thought is that right everything is always more difficult to execute on than you first thought, even something as simple as like (laughs) building a landing page, but on a different scale. So yeah, definitely. We started off thinking all we needed to do was build a single chain with, 
you know, four to eight people and then release it out into the world and expect that everything would be hunky-dory and Gucci. But it's a lot more than that. It's been a lot more (laughs) work than expected for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to get back to sort of incentives and impact equals profit because you and, and the other founders of Optimism, you've been around the Ethereum space for a long time and you sort of realized that the incentives maybe weren't aligned and, and you had a, some ideas about how to fix that, right? Yeah. Is this my cue to talk about Retro PGF? If you want. I think it would be a, gr- I think it'd be a great opening. Yes. Yeah. So all this activity, this tooling, these applications generate chain revenue. And we wondered, like, what what are some new structures that aren't, you know, large acquisitions to direct this revenue to for incentivizing open source development, development of public goods. And so we're currently experimenting with this idea that you can create this big pot, the exit pot for public goods projects. And through governance or through some other oracle, oracle is the hardest part of this problem, still figuring that out, allocate this capital towards different projects based on how much impact they've created for the collective as a whole. And so at Plasma Group, we worked just as hard as we do now at a VC-backed company. The painful part is we weren't looking to be billionaires. We just wanted stable funding, reasonable salaries, and a small share in the upside that we created for the whole industry. But we got none of those three things, candidly. And I think there is a lot of people out there that aren't trying to become Jeff Bezos or Mark Zuckerberg. They're content with a small share in the upside that they create, and they're not trying to optimize for value extraction. Rather, they just want to be rewarded appropriately based on the impact that they've created. And so lots of these rock stars end up working at big corporations or at jobs they hate because they can't do what they love and also support a reasonable lifestyle and be rewarded for the value. So that's really the category of people that we're trying to solve for with Retro PGF. There's a lot of them out there. We saw a ton of them in the early days of Ethereum. We, we still see a lot of them in our contributor community. I forgot your question. I just started ranting. What was the question oh, that, again? That was, that was amazing. No, you, you definitely answered the question. And, and you bring up something that I want to sort of stress or hit upon as well, something that I've heard a few key optimists repeat, and I think it bears repeating again, which is that I think people hear the phrase public goods and they get this sort of woo wooey, you know, nonprofit sort of vibe. It's it's this tight line between, you know, things that are public goods, things that everybody can benefit from, but also yes, you will be rewarded for them. You will be rewarded commensurate with the impact that you create. Just, you know, maybe not in um as such an extravagant oligarchical fashion as some of the examples that you mentioned. But yeah, I just want to stress that I think this idea is very important of it's not just like this feel good. We give stuff away all the time. It's if you create value, you should be rewarded commensurate with that value. I don't know if you have a, another way to phrase it, Jing. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy that the people who are 
who are super skilled and really talented and dedicating all of their time to making things better for everyone else as one of their priorities, that those people are not funded and supported. I can't remember where I saw this. It was some TED talk by some dude talking about this scandal where this nonprofit CEO was like Red Cross or something good and dope and creating a lot of value for the world was getting paid, I think, an $800,000 salary. And people went berserk, so angry that this CEO was making 800 k But isn't the work that the Red Cross doing, isn't it really important? Shouldn't everybody at the Red Cross be making a ton of money for doing something that benefits everybody else? Why are we okay with $2 million bonus packages for VPs of, I don't know, NAS- I have no idea what the bonus packages are at NASDAQ. But why are we okay with that and not okay with the people who are working on things that benefit everyone else, making anything close to what people in tech or at big corporations make? I just, this doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, no, agreed. And I think everybody can can agree with that to some level. You know, there's this often brought up thing of like, you know, teacher salaries is sort of what it reminds me of. Oh you my know, God, pe- so fucked up. Yes. The people in charge of shaping the next generation and they're just sort of criminally underpaid or, oh, firefighting, wildland firefighting specifically, something I know a little bit about, also criminally underpaid and underfunded. So, no, I think that's something everybody can can relate to and resonate with. To return to return to the story. okay, so you're working on I mean, really, we're working on this very bold and grand vision, right? That is now called the Optimism Collective. And it's about cooperation and coordination and, you know, eventually full decentralization. And you can even imagine like multiple companies at each layer of this massive stack. Some people might say that is unattainable or or unachievable. How would you, how would you respond to that? Oh yeah, for sure. I think in a lot of ways, it sounds dumb as fuck, super grandiose, like takes a lot of hubris to get there, but it, it, like, why the fuck do we get out of bed every day? You know, like life is fundamentally meaningless. Existence is fundamentally meaningless. And so got to have some feel good reason to just exist. And maybe that's a little morbid, but if you're not having fun and if you're not doing something that you feel good about, that fundamentally aligns with your value set, like why do anything? Why do anything at all? There's many options. I don't. There. Yeah, I don't think it's morbid at all. I I totally agree with you. Life is short. Shoot your shot. Do something that matters. Do something that you know you can feel good about doing every day. You know, you spend the majority of your waking hours working. So hopefully that work you know has some meaning at least to you. Amen. Like if you don't think you can get fit, you will never be fit. If you don't think you can learn a new language, you will never learn a new language. If you do think it's achievable and you try to achieve it, then it's actually possible. You may or may not achieve it, but you've moved something from the realm of genuine impossibility to a maybe. And that's pretty sick. And all it requires is a mindset shift. Plus one to that. And and really, if we think about it, maybe this isn't as unattainable as it seems, you know, because if you think about it, there have been huge shifts in in human civilization throughout history. And probably at the time, a lot of people didn't know it was coming around the corner and didn't think it was possible. 
but then some, you know, crazy person or a small group of, of quote unquote crazy people had a, a big bold idea that gained traction and what was, you know, inconceivable or crazy yesterday is now the reality that we live in. So this stuff does happen. It's happened throughout history. It, it, it happens all the time. In fact, a hundred percent. Look, some people are building 10,000 year cuckoo clocks in mountains. Some of us are trying to go to Mars. We are just trying to realize the original vision of decentralization. I love it. Yeah. It's sort of, um, it harkens back to why I originally got interested in crypto. It was for these sort of big and bold ideas, you know, kind of similar to it sounds like your story coming into a world and these older institutions that seemed quite rigid and maybe were, were failing us in a lot of ways and, and maybe not working as well as they were intended anymore. And, you know, the, the name optimism, it's, you know, it's named because optimistic optimistic roll-up, obviously, but, and that's the technology that the, that the extension to Ethereum uses, but also what a, what a fitting and apt name because the Optimism Collective is also really rooted in this culture of optimism, of, to use another cliche, sort of being the change you want to see in the world. And we believe that like, if you can imagine it and describe it like we're doing now, then you're one step closer to creating that reality. I mean, I think, Mac, you can relate with this. Everyone at Optimism is just trying to scratch our own itch, build the world that we ourselves want to exist in. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I think, you know, without being morbid or, or darkening the mood, there's obviously some some problems in the world. But I find, you know, each individual can create an impact. And the best way to do that is by leading by example. And I'm really I'm really glad to work here because I feel like that's what we're doing, both as as individuals, like individually, I'm, I'm doing what I can as an individual. But then when we come together as a collective, that just unlocks massive potential. Oh, yeah. It feels so good to be the dumbest person in the room at Optimism. It's really awesome. Anyways, jobs. I don't know if you can say that because that's that's how I feel. So. All right. <laughs> we'll compete. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Oh, yeah. You were you were going to do a little CTA there. I love it. I think people are going to be super jazzed about the content of this talk. And if you are, as Jing mentioned, there are some open roles available. So jobs.optimism.io. We even have a, a clean new jobs board. Shout out, shout out the team that put that together because it looks great. And you know, it's not just this like gassy galaxy brain noodling. We're actually building the technology and infrastructure that enables this these kinds of values to persist for builders. So check it out. Thanks for listening, check everyone. It. Check that out. And also, if any of these topics interest you, I would urge you to go to optimism.mirror.xyz because we've put out a lot of writing on a lot of the topics that we've discussed here today. Okay, so fantastic. This is everything I had hoped for and more. Jing, I want to thank you so much for coming on OP Radio. It was such a pleasure. And thank you, everybody, for joining us. I hope you have a great rest of your Wednesday. Thanks, Mac. Peace out, everybody. See you on the internet, everyone. Bye-bye.
Thank you.